Good evening, everybody. My name is Brian Miner. You're listening to A Minor Detail on blogtalkradio.com. And I am, well, I'm not recovering from St. Patrick's Day because there was really nothing to recover from. And we went out to dinner over at our favorite restaurants with our bestest friends, uh, Clyde's. And I did have a Guinness. And so I guess that counts for, for, for being Irish on that day. Oh, and I had corned beef and cabbage. So that's, that's important. But this Sunday, uh, we just hung out, relaxed. It's a great weekend. Spent a little time at the grocery store, which is always an adventure in and of itself. But I'm not here to talk about grocery shopping Tonight, I have, I have the distinct pleasure of having my friend, uh, Montgomery County Executive Candidate, who, uh, Roger Berliner, who is also a Montgomery County Councilman. And for whatever reason, these guys jump in and want to run for office. And um, <laughs> Roger's here to tell us exactly why he's running for Montgomery County Executive of Maryland's largest county and the feat that he's up against. So, hey, Roger, thanks for coming on this evening and welcome. Well, thanks for inviting me, and someday you're going to have to tell me about the, the hard rock music that precedes the show here. So that is a I, – so I had somebody design that, and I am a huge Led Zeppelin fan, and I said As try to I. develop – Okay, good. Well, that's – Stairway you know to what? Heaven has to be the best song ever. <laughs> well, it, it's either that or Cashmere or Whole lot of Love, and right, there's a few right, others. <laughs> um, but I had somebody design that, and I said, I, I want you to make it as Zeppelin-esque as possible. So they came up with this, and I'm a, I'm a big classic rock, heavy metal kind of guy, so I thought that that was an appropriate intro into the show. And somebody, be, somebody said, well, you should make it a little softer, make it a little jazzy, and I said, but that's not my personality. I'm a, I'm a classic <laughs> rock kind of guy. <laughs> there you go. So, well, thanks for coming on. You are running for Montgomery County Executive, but you are no newcomer to politics. So my goal for this evening is to talk about your career um, serving Montgomery County residents, um, what you've accomplished in elected office, and then we'll get into a, what you wish to accomplish as a county executive. So I always start out the interview asking the candidate, what they hope to accomplish with this interview. So, Roger, what do you want people to learn about you by the time we finish this evening? I guess I just hope they get to know me better. And if they know me better, I'll be satisfied with their conclusion as to whether or not I'm the right person to lead our county forward. Good, good. Fair enough. You, you've you been in Montgomery County, according to your bio on your website, which is uh, berlinerformontgomery.com. You've been in this community for, what, 28, 29 years? Yep. Okay. And you're here like many people do to, for the good schools, the good neighborhoods, the good quality of life. Before you moved to Montgomery County, where did you grow up? What was your, uh, what was your upbringing? I grew up in Cincinnati, Ohio, which was a, a wonderful place to grow up. Went to public high school, was president of my classes in the sophomore year and junior year and just loved being in high school. In fact, I'm going back to Cincinnati. People are throwing an event for me because yeah. my high school friends are still my best friends. So I grew up in Cincinnati. I was fortunate to be able to go to Dartmouth College uh, for college and 
at the height of uh, late 60s, early 70s, uh, a time of love and peace in the world. Yeah, yeah. Dartmouth is a great school. In fact, um, I was up at Dartmouth a couple of years ago for, for the first time. And yesterday I was at an event um, and uh, there was a, a Dartmouth undergraduate student there. And I was telling them about the time back in 2015. Um, I was visiting New Hampshire. Of course, it's the place for politics. And that's where that's what we went up for. And so we got an opportunity to meet many of the presidential candidates who were running. And we went up in June and it was the perfect time because it was the the end of of finals. And Dartmouth, I fell in love with the campus, Roger. It is such a beautiful place to for an education. I really did. As did I. It was, it was a stunning place. I was quite fortunate to, to go there. It's really helped launch my career into politics, actually. Yeah, and it's all the way up in the mountains. And I know that as, a, um, as an outdoors guy yourself, I'm sure that you enjoyed that, especially during your college years. I did indeed. I loved skiing up there. I, I love trees in the outdoors. I'm, I'm a fly fisherman, so it was a lovely place to go to school. Yeah. And then after Dartmouth, you graduated from there, and then you went off to uh, the McGeorge School of Law in Sacramento, California. Did you have a specific focus when you were in law, particular particular area of law that then you went on to practice? Well, actually, there was a big gap in between, so let me mm. go back in time. When okay. I was still, before my senior year at Dartmouth, I came down to Washington and got an internship as a speechwriter for a congressman named Nick Galifianakis of North Carolina, who was running against Jesse Helms, the United States Senate. And Jesse Helms was one of the true good old boys from the South, and needless yeah. to say, Nick Galifianakis, a Greek immigrant, was not. And so I was here in the Washington and Washington during the height of Watergate when you saw big people really rise to the occasion, unlike what we're seeing today, and really put the country first. And it really inspired me. And so I stayed here for six months. Dartmouth allowed me to stay here for the first three months of my senior year and gave me credit. And it was just thrilling to be here. So after college, I went back to Cincinnati, my hometown, and hooked up with a an ex-mayor of Cincinnati who was running for Congress, introduced to him by Jerry Springer from Cincinnati. <laughs> Jerry Springer, who was a rock star in Cincinnati at the time, could have been anything. And life obviously went a different way for him. But he introduced me to the ex-mayor, and the ex-mayor hired me, and then he won and became a congressman, and I was his first special assistant. Wow. So I came to Washington in 1974 and worked on Capitol Hill for him, for a whole bunch of good Democrats. I was Senator Howard Metzenbaum's legislative director in the United States Senate, which was about as thrilling as you could get in my late 20s. I was legislative director for a, an incredible United States Senate. And then the Carter administration asked me to become director of congressional liaison for a federal agency, and I did that. Reagan won, and so I lost my job, and Congressman Henry Waxman 
one of the greatest congressmen ever, hired me as a senior policy advisor. So I did all that in my late 20s. I started law school at Catholic at night. And, hmm. uh, and then this guy from California called Henry Waxman, a state assemblyman, a dear friend of Henry Waxman, Mel Levine, who was a state assemblyman, head of an energy committee in the state legislature, running for Congress. And he said, do you know somebody who would come out to Sacramento and work for me out here as an energy my energy consultant? And so I served the California State Legislature, and that's when I moved back to Sacramento and went to McGeorge School of Law also at night, working during the day and going to law school at night. So I apologize, but that was all of that took place before law school. Well, that's, I think that's what people want to know about candidates who are running. Oftentimes, you get into forums, Roger, and then you don't get a chance to really talk about yourself because you're, you're time limited. And then they, they put up the yellow card and then at the, <laughs> they put up the stop card. And it's, <laughs> yeah. this is an opportunity for, for Montgomery County residents to really get to find out where your, where your experience lies and how that bolstered your career and where it shaped you and how you ultimately decided to run for public office. But then you became um, – I'm interested to learn about what kind of law that then you went on to practice. Yes, I had a, a great legal career. I, I loved the law. It was an administrative law career and energy law. So I ended up representing Los Angeles County. Uh, before the California Public Utility Commission. I represented Canadian natural gas producers before the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission. I represented Nevada utilities against Enron all the way to the United States Supreme Court. And I had a consulting practice put on seminars uh, and wrote newsletters and did consulting for a whole range of energy companies. So it was really, it was a great time in my life, and I did it for 18 years. And uh, I was fortunate to be successful. I had this little niche practice and grew it from myself to 12 people in California and in Washington. And it was uh, it was a good time in my life. And then back in 1999, you were the Maryland coordinator for Bill Bradley, Oh, Bill Bradley's yep. presidential campaign. And that's not a name that we hear too often lately in politics. That had to have been interesting. Well, it was. I mean, obviously, I knew him from my time in the Senate. and I greatly admired him. Uh, he had a terrific intellect. And uh, he wasn't a terrific campaigner, but he uh, he had good ideas and was, uh, I just thought, a, an outstanding senator. Uh, so I was pleased to work for him, and then these people knocked on my door and asked me to run for county council. <laughs> yeah, so that's a good segue. Um, you ran in the first time you ran for county council was back in what year two thousand? Is that correct? Exactly. Yep. And so. Yeah, let's talk about that. You supported one of the issues back then was in the master plan in Montgomery County was the some transportation improvements, including our county's now intercounty intercounty connector, 
that was ultimately built uh, built and is widely used and I'm a huge fan of because it gets us to and from and I live here in uh, North Potomac right outside of Gaithersburg and it takes me probably from my house to Interstate 95 because we often travel to our our beloved eastern shore um, I can be on 95 within 25 minutes and I'm telling you I love it I think it's one of the best things that was ever happened in this county but you also got some flack for that oh yeah it may be in your opinion one of the best things but it continues to be among the most controversial things and i was a little uh, wet behind the ears then i had not really focused on county issues at that time <clears throat> and so it was the position i took in that campaign people had urged me to run um and so I ran in this primary, and it was only a 10-week campaign, which I was so grateful for. It was one of the reasons why I felt I could do it. I had young kids at the time, and I confess I don't know how my colleagues with young kids do it because the county council job is just so demanding to have young kids. It's, it really stretches you. So yeah. I, I ran in 2000 against Pat Baptiste from Chevy Chase, and she clobbered me two to one. And, uh, but then, uh, she ended up losing to Howie Dennis, uh, who came in in 2000. Yeah. And I, I'm just looking at the race. There was a couple of other people who ran, including, I believe, Mary Kane, who was the former Maryland secretary of state and ultimately a candidate for Lieutenant governor under Bob Ehrlich when he ran in 2010 for, election after being defeated by Martin O'Malley in 06. Yes, I actually had a real nice relationship with her. So she, she was a nice woman. Yeah, she, she certainly is. So <clears throat> after your loss, did you say to yourself, well, I think I can do this again? Or did you go back to, I, I know you had, a small, you had a small business. Were you doing that at the time and practicing law? Yes, it was, it was a combination business and law firm. Actually, my law firm succeeded because people had confidence that I understood their business. And so it was my consulting practice that created the opportunity to really build a, an extensive legal practice. So the two went hand in hand. and I, I did that for, again, 18 years. But what had happened to me, obviously, late in life was I asked myself, is this what I'm meant to do? I had done all that work, as we talked about, as a young man. And every time you're a speechwriter for somebody else or a legislative director for a senator, there's part of you that is invested in it as yourself. And you, and so you think this is, this is what I could do. And so I always thought that to the extent to which I bring any gifts into this world, and I use that word, loosely, if you will, um, that this would be the place where those gifts would come together the most. And uh, I would have lived a life of regret if I did not really try and see if that's the case. So I had lost in 2000 and went back to doing my work. But by 2006, I said to myself, this is the time and place to make one last run and see whether or not this is the work I'm meant to do. And so I took on Howie, who had, I don't think had ever lost before. 
right? Uh, and had beat them by 13 points. So, so there you go. And at the time, of course, still District 1, were the, were the boundary lines still the same as they are today in District 1? No, they changed. Um, a few years later, for example, I didn't have Poolsville when I ran. Now I have my line goes from the D.C. line all the way to the Frederick County line. <clears throat> it basically was half of Potomac before. So it extended yeah. north, and I lost a few districts, uh, a few precincts in the, off Randolph Road as well. But it was fundamentally the same. Yeah, and as a Democrat, you ousted Howie Dennis, an incumbent Republican, and Republicans in Montgomery County, of course, Roger, are scarce. It's a scarcity these days, and you and I have talked about this offline, and we've we've had some interesting conversations even in passing that, you know, the Republican Party in Montgomery County, it's always good to have an opposition party. They present other ideas. They're It's important for the dialogue. It's important to have dissenting opinion, and oftentimes dissenting opinion, I think, creates a culture of of what what should happen in politics, a good, fruitful discussion on what's best for residents. However, I have found, Roger, in my time, and not, you know, as a former Republican, I'm now an independent, I can tell you that this Republican Party in Montgomery County does not align well with the Montgomery County electorate in that they're they're very far to the right and they don't present well. They they're they they're, they're one or two issues that they focus on and it's never typically about making government more efficient. It's a lot of these national issues and I just find that that's disappointing because there's you know two parties can always have good ideas but some of the candidates they have run <laughs> including perhaps your potential um opponent as a Republican Mr. Robin Ficker that it doesn't always speak to the credibility of this local party. What say you? Well, you're, you're absolutely right, because I do think the Connie Morellas of the world and the Howie Dennis's, quite frankly, I think Howie, I think the world of Howie. Um, I think he was a very decent, he is a very decent man, and he's serving our community still is on WSSC. Um, so he's, he's a terrific gentleman. And Connie Morella, of course, is extraordinary. So if there were more people of that ilk seeking to lead the Republican Party in Montgomery County, we would be so well served because they're, they're lovely people. We may disagree on issues here and there, but they are people that you just admire and respect. And that's, those are the qualities that you, you hope are your leaders. Yeah. Well, and that's, you know, the Connie Morellas of the Republican Party, uh, even to the extent maybe a Bob Ehrlich, who was always seen as a, a moderate person in, in the party, and others, um, the John Kasichs, who I think is a fundamentally decent person, they're, yep. they're extinct. They're extinct in the Republican Party. I, you know, I, I left because I said, this is not the Republican Party of my grandparents or my grandfather, where we really tried to focus on policy and issues and working across the aisle and finding common ground. And that just doesn't happen in today's 
partisan politics. And that's been a central theme in your campaign, Roger. You're, you're known as a pragmatic but progressive candidate. And I think that in, in this county, people are looking for someone who is definitely progressive and is going to move this community or the various communities in a, in a forward direction. But they're looking for people who are practical and who can work with all facets of the community, maybe with labor, with the business community. And I think that's where you have come in and said, this is who I am as a candidate, and this is what I have done. So um, that's, that's, always, that's always struck me is that you have built a great relationship with many people in the Montgomery County community and many organizations and groups. And I, I want to talk a little bit about that as we, we go forward. But you, um, of course, you won your election in 2006. You were reelected to a second term in 10, a third term in 14. And then, uh-oh, along comes these term limits, which prevents you from um, what was passed back in 2016. The voters supported that overwhelmingly and then ultimately decided to, and then you decided to run for county executive. And you're facing off against um, five other competitors. You're, um, but I, And I also believe that your other competitors, um, Mr. Leventhal and Mr. Elrich, they are term limited as well. And, of course, uh, Nancy Florine is leaving the council. So we're looking at a, a markedly different makeup of the council um, coming in here in 2018. I find that interesting. Um, and it's going to be it's going to be interesting the type of candidates who are elected, but when when you decided to run for for county executive, you have all this combined experience. Um, when you decided to run, uh, Roger, did you have ever did you have any pushback from people in the community who said, "Well, you've been in office for so long, we want some you know we're we're looking at maybe a different direction." What's what's been the, the central um, reaction to your candidacy? Well, I'd like to think it's positive. Um, I'd like to think it is, as you suggested, that people are hungry for someone who is progressive but pragmatic. When the Washington Post called me that, I sort of took issue with the but pragmatic, like I need to be apologetic for being (laughs) pragmatic. I I don't think so. Um, So I do like to think of myself as progressive and pragmatic, and I say to people, you're not going to get things done unless you are pragmatic. And I'm also proud of the role I play in finding common ground. As you may know, I served on a board, an international nonprofit called Search for Common Ground for more than a decade. And it does lovely work all throughout the world. And its mantra is conflict is normal. It's how you resolve conflict that matters. And so I had a TV show in Montgomery County called Search for Common Ground in Montgomery County. So it's a sort of part of my DNA in which I think I try to listen to all sides and hear the truth in competing points of view because there are often truths on both sides. And then I have seen my job as a legislator as reconciling those truths and bringing about legislation that harmonizes the various points of view to the maximum extent you can do that. It's sort of like being a conductor of an orchestra. You want to just bring everything you can into harmony, knowing that there are all these different voices out there, and bringing them into harmony is the goal. Mm-hmm. 
Clem. So when you decided to run, you put together a candidate platform for county executive. And of course, Ike Leggett, he is, he is, you know, didn't, did not decide to run for reelection. But when you were putting together your candidate platform for county executive, combining your experience, um, you know, over the last 10 years, of course, what are the, what are the top issues that you're running on and what do people in the community often talk to you about when you're out talking with them, you know, maybe at a restaurant, maybe at a forum or, um, you know, just on the street, what's your issue platform and what are people telling you? Well, I guess I think the most important thing the next leader of our County can do for us is to create greater prosperity in our County. So my platform is creating greater shared prosperity um, because we can't do anything else unless we grow our tax base. We're dealing with uncertain economic times where the federal tax laws have changed and can have a profound impact on our revenues. We're dealing with a world in which we can't raise taxes going forward. So if we are going to have the resources we need to create what I call a more perfect Montgomery County. We are going to have to attract businesses and grow our economy. So it's been a lot of my work on the county council of trying to create a more favorable climate for economic growth, create an ecosystem where entrepreneurs and innovators can thrive, where we can attract Amazon played a big role as council president in our bid to attract Amazon, and I'm proud that we are one of a handful of communities that are under serious consideration for landing Amazon. It would be transformative if we got them. But even if we don't get them, to me, it illuminates our path forward. It shows that the innovation economy is the future, and we need to be innovative in how we position ourselves and how we think of ourselves. So that's, to me, the single most important thing we can do to have the resources that our schools need, that transportation needs, that the range of social justice issues that we want to address. All of that depends on resources. You mentioned Amazon, and that is on the tip of everyone's mind. People talk about that constantly. And I'm just like you. I'm out and about in the community Everybody is wondering what's going to what's going to happen, and I know that Montgomery County is working in tandem with the governor, and to ensure that we we attract Amazon, and we are the only county I believe listed on that list of top twenty to bring Amazon here to our community, and I, I'm hoping that happens. That would be a big deal, even if oh, we don't. No, bring it, it, would, it wouldn't be a big deal. It would be transformative. It would be the biggest thing that ever happened to Montgomery County. So talk about your role in that. What what have you done to facilitate that, to you know, to craft the, the bid process? And I'm interested. That's a bit that's been an issue that everybody is talking about because as you said, that would be transformative for for bringing jobs to this community. And I think that we can address some of the concerns that people have later, but I'm interested to hear your role in bringing Amazon here. 
So I was council president at the time that the Amazon RFP came out, and I was also on the board of directors of the Council of Governments. Um, so I had a role on the county council and a regional role as well, and a district role because most of the published reports with respect to where Amazon are going would go has been in my district. So one thing I did was I went to the Council of Governments and I said, we need to collaborate on this. We need to show how strong our region is. And even though Virginia, D.C., and Maryland may end up competing, what we want to do is show that the Washington, D.C. area is so terribly strong that Amazon ought to come to the area. And if it comes to any place in the area, all of us will benefit. So for the first time, the region actually did just that. It put together a document demonstrating the talent pool that the region has and just all the various attributes of the region. And each jurisdiction appended that to their own submission. So while Montgomery County put in its own bid and highlighted what we, what makes us special, we could also append to it and look, look at our Washington region. So I don't think it's an accident that three of the 20 chosen by Amazon for their short list are from the region. Then I also went to WMATA and I said to WMATA that there's certain land that WMATA has on top of Metro that is sitting vacant and you need to allow jurisdictions to use that land as part of their bids. And WMATA agreed and said, but Councilmember Berliner, if we do that for Montgomery County, we'll have to do that for every jurisdiction. And I said, we ought to do that for every jurisdiction because it'd be such a boon to Metro to have 50,000 workers using Metro. Thank you very much. So they allowed us to put in acreage and our bid that they own. Um, and then I worked with the landowners and because uh, there was some things that needed to be ironed out and the county executive's office asked me to to basically intercede and see if I couldn't bring the various landowners to a common point of view as to how our bid would look and how, what it would highlight. So I literally was on the phone with a number of the landowners and making sure that it was all ironed out and with the county executive's office and we got there. So we have a great bid bottom line. We really do. And I think we're one of a handful of communities in the serious running. Most people think it could be between us and Crystal City. Wow. Uh, so I, I feel like we've got a good shot. And yeah. You... We, we should be proud that we've got a good shot because it says a lot about who we are. Well, I, I'm reading a guest commentary that you wrote for Maryland Matters back in January and you said the odds makers give us an eight to one shot ahead of DC and Northern Virginia. And then you want to toss in five billion in direct investments and thirty six million in net income economic benefits over billion, six billion. Over six. Picture it's the yeah, B exactly. word here. <laughs> billion, thirty six billion in net economic benefits over six years. 
And you also said that the resources that Amazon will generate will more than pay for the infrastructure needed to accommodate them and the growth that they will prompt. And then, of course, you gave props to uh, Senator Brian Feldman and Delegate Mark Corman, whom I believe both endorsed your candidacy for county executive. Um, Brian Feldman is my state senator here in District 15, and Delegate Mark Corman is a rock star over in District 16, who is his pet project has been fixing DC, our, our you know the Maryland the metro system here that we have, and so yes. that's a, of course that's a major infrastructure improvement that must occur for us to foreseeably bring Amazon here to our community. We know that Metro has some issues and we also understand what it's going to take and it's going to take leadership. And I think it's also going to take some money because how many times have you, I've used Metro many times like you, I used to work on Capitol Hill and I would take the Metro in and you know, you get there early, then you're, single tracking and then something breaks down and then your commute that maybe is 45 minutes long from the Shady Grove Metro station turns into over two hours and nobody wants to be stuck on a metro at you know when it's 85 degrees out in July in the summer in DC summers that's it's it's miserable so I think that you know should we bring metro should we bring Amazon here people are also concerned too that we may not have the infrastructure in place now, but there's other the mind that others are of the mindset, Roger, that if we build it, they will come. That well, things will. Ryan, yeah, let me ahead. let me interrupt for a second if I could, because I know that the the governor has a, a three billion dollar incentive package, billion dollar infrastructure package, an unprecedented investment in Montgomery County on transportation infrastructure everything that we've been asking for for years brt blah 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 whatever you can imagine is two billion dollars from the state that would be prepared to be invested in montgomery county if amazon comes that's separate and apart from metro which we are poised to finally provide dedicated funding for the first time in its 40-year history, Virginia, D.C., and Maryland are poised to provide $500 million a year that we can then bond. And it, it's a big deal, and it's happening in real time now, thanks in part to Mark Corman and Brian Feldman's work in Maryland and a lot of other people's work in Virginia. And we really worked hard as a region, and I was proud of my role as chair of the Council of Governments to help lay the foundation for it. So it's a big deal that we're going to fund Metro because, as you say, if Metro's not working, our community is just – it just can't happen. Metro cannot fail, and we could not fail Metro, and we didn't. We have stood up for Metro providing Metro with the funding it will need. And now we need them to do their part, make sure that they invest it wisely and get this system back to where it was 40 years ago when it was really a world-class system. And we should not have anything less than a world-class Metro. I agree. And we should not have anything less than a world-class transportation and infrastructure in Montgomery County. And that has been 
that is an issue that plagues our our community in a in a way that affects people's daily commute. And I'm talking about the traffic infrastructure problem that we have on Interstate 270, the traffic infrastructure problem that we have on 495. And with the influx of – if we bring Amazon, we're going to have an influx of, of, of thousands of people in Montgomery County, I presume, and hopefully many of – we have one of the most educated workforces in this country, and I'm hoping that Amazon, should they decide to locate here, and I hope they will, that – you know, they hire some really bright minds, and we have that talent, Roger. We have we that do. talent. It is one of the things – you're absolutely right, Ryan. It is one of the qualities that separates us from virtually every other place in the country. We have the smartest workforce anywhere right here. Yeah. And, you know, with that, we also have to be smart about transportation and – Let's talk about your record and what we some of your proposals, because I hear this often, Roger. When I sit in traffic, I have to drive to Northern Virginia every day for my commute. I would love to. Now, I would love to work here in Montgomery County, and maybe that's in my deck of cards here in the near, in the near future. But nonetheless, I found a great job in healthcare over in Northern Virginia. I cross the line. I go across the American Legion Bridge, and from my home, I typically take River Road down to the split on 495, and then I cross the bridge. And then once I'm in northern Virginia, right about in the Tysons area, I go up the Dallas Toll Road. And there, from there, my commute is pretty free-flowing, no, no issues. But coming home at nighttime and then sometimes early in the morning, if I leave in time, I can gauge the traffic and be in rest and where I work, where my office is, and about 45 minutes from my house, and that's not too bad. But sometimes I'm stuck in traffic for over an hour and a half, like Friday afternoon, for example. Roger, I left my office at 4.30, and I, I came home, and I didn't get home until 6.45. We have an mm-hmm. infrastructure problem. What we is, do indeed. What can we do to foreseeably, in the future, fix 270 to upgrade our, our traffic problem, and get less cars off the road? How can we get these cars off the road? So, great question. And just know that there's certain things that our county can do, and that there's certain things that are actually the state's responsibility to do. And I can't, for the life of me, understand why it's taken so long for any governor to stand up and say, we need to fix this. Our county council has for years, and I chair our transportation committee, urged two reversible lanes on 270. We don't believe we need four lanes because this is entirely a peak-driven system. In the morning, it's north to south, and in the evening, it's south to north. You just need two lanes, and if it's going to be paid for by tolls, you want to make sure that you're not laying more concrete than necessary. So we have been arguing, pushing for 270 to get expanded for years, and I led a petition drive to fix the American Legion Bridge. It's an embarrassment. Yeah. It's just It should never happen. Advised that the governor's plan includes expanding the American Legion Bridge. So if we 
add capacity on 270, add capacity on the American Legion Bridge that then works with Northern Virginia because, you know, Northern Virginia has done a lot. And it goes right up to the bridge, and then, of course, it all chokes up again because of the bridge. So you want to create a context where that choke point is minimized. And I think we can. This is not an insolvable problem. It just takes some leadership to make it happen at the state level. Yeah, you've, you've studied the where the, the, the choke points are in the traffic, and it's a conundrum that I often try to figure out. Why is it that you know, the, the American Legion Bridge, I believe, is five or six lanes, um, and it always backs up right as you enter Maryland or right at the split, and you know exactly where you're going to hit traffic, no matter Absolutely. what. You know it. I mean, Every day. I, I, yeah, exactly. I mean, you you get down past exit one and you merge on the split between 270 and then you take it um, and then you go down a mile and then you're going to be stuck in bumper to bumper traffic. What is what is the issue? I mean, I'm not I'm not a traffic expert, but I mean, I have my own thoughts about where we could do, move improvements. But what is it about this American Legion Bridge that has caused so many backups and problems? I think it's just a capacity problem. I mean, you just don't have enough lanes. So you need to add lanes to the American Legion Bridge. I think that that will do a lot to ease congestion right there. Mm -hmm. And is there ever an rocket science? Well, you've probably traveled across the the George Washington Bridge before that costs like $15 to get across these days. Um, It's, yeah, I've, we've, we've gone in through New York City several times in the last couple of years and have driven across that bridge, and it's just astronomical. But is there, what about, would there ever be an opportunity in the future to double-deck that bridge? Now we're past my capacity. You know, I'm not an engineer. I do like the way that the governor has gone about this work, which is they don't pretend to have all the answers. And so what they have basically said is soliciting ideas for how to address congestion on 270 and on the American Legion Bridge and on the Beltway, which I think is going to be very difficult to do much on the Beltway. The governor proposed adding four lanes on the Beltway, and I I just don't see how you can do hardly anything like that without taking houses, neighborhoods, Holy Cross Hospital, Rock Creek Park. I mean, it's just, you, yeah. I don't see that happening. But, you know, he's asked for people to come forward with proposals, and we'll see them. And the Secretary of Transportation has promised that he will work with Montgomery County uh, once they have seen the proposals and decide which way to go. And we will be at the table. And I think that's terribly important because we weren't at the table when he announced this initiative. That's right. And I don't understand that for Governor Hogan has often championed his bipartisan approach. However, you have to bring all leaders to the table when you're accomplishing major policy changes. And this is a major, you know, fixing 270, fixing Montgomery County's infrastructure. There's no partisanship. There's no, there's no D or R or I or L next to this policy. This is a, a community solution. So I don't understand why he didn't bring all the players. 
And I just I, I've tried to find that out, that answer. I can't get anywhere. And I don't know if it was just he forgot or he didn't consider all possible parties, but you know, you want to bring Maryland's largest ex- county executive to the table. You want to bring that county council. You guys are doing this every day, day in, day out. It didn't make much sense to me, Roger. And that's where I, I have to scratch my head and say, what, you know, what say you governor? <laughs> yep. I, I got to tell you, I, I criticized him for it as well. Uh, but I have been assured that we will be at the table when it matters. It's one thing to put out a request for proposals. It's another thing to then start finalizing what you're going to do. And I am confident that Montgomery County will be at the table when those decisions are made. Yeah. Well, we hope so. And that's, that's a big issue. I'm hoping I'm going to be at the table. Yeah. Roger, you are, um, there have been a times where I, I think you have been criticized for taking money from developers. And there's this whole thing now that people are buying into the public financing. And of course you supported that, but you decided to opt out of the system and you've gotten some flack for that. I think that's a fair thing to say. You've gotten flack from certain people um, in certain organizations. I know that um, Bobby Littman, who's been on this show, they like to go after candidates who t- who are, don't opt into the public financing system. So I'm, I'm interested to hear your perspective on, um, on that system and how you ultimately came to the conclusion that it wasn't right for you. What I love about Bobby Littman is he got all organized and upset because of the West Bard situation. Which none of us even knew the developers involved in the West Bard situation. So it just was so weird that this became the chance that somehow that we were beholden to developers, which nine of us voted unanimously for the West Bard plan, <clears throat> which I cut in half from what the planners had suggested. But let's go back. Um, so your question is gee, Roger, you've been criticized. Uh, because you're not doing public financing. As you observed, I was a big supporter of public financing. If you ask Phil Andrews, no one was with him more on that issue than I. I I thought it was an incredibly important advancement. And I think that all the new people that are running prove the point that public financing really is. It's a great thing. I never saw for someone like myself who'd been in office for a long time and that didn't need public financing. That's not why I didn't use public financing. The reason that I decided not to do public financing was because I'm at such a significant competitive disadvantage in this race. I have only been on the ballot for 20% of the county council member. 80% of the voters have never seen my name, let alone voted for me. I'm running against people like Mark Elrich, who has run countywide at least eight times. He ran four times at large before he even got on the council. George Leventhal, who's been who's run at large four times and been on the ballot five or six times. So I felt like I had to raise more money 
in order to get my name in front of people who had never voted for me before. And if I didn't do that, I was going to be at an 80% competitive disadvantage. So that was the reason why I didn't do public financing. And to the extent to which people say, oh, gosh, look at that. He's taking money from developers. When I ran four years ago for re-election, the headline in the Washington Post was, Developers Seek to Oust Berliner. Developers funded my opponent's campaign because they were so mad at me for leading the fight against development at Ten Mile Creek. And I led that fight and said no to development because we didn't and shouldn't have development there. So I'm someone who has fought development where it doesn't belong, and I have supported it where it does. I've supported development in Bethesda. I've supported development in White Flint. I believe those are places where we want to grow. And so to the extent to which developers look at me and go, you know, he's a pretty rational guy. He's a pretty thoughtful guy. We feel like he's a good leader, and they're supporting me. Okay. I'm okay with that, and I'm okay with my record on development. You think some of your opponents um, in this county executive race, and from my perspective, I, I can yeah, I surmise, but you think some of your opponents have come out so strongly against development where there are people in the community, and especially in the business community, have said, if you know, this person got elected, there's no way we could ever we would ever want to work with them. I don't see that with your candidacy. I see people say, Roger Berliner is somebody that we can work with. We may not always agree with him on these issues, but he's not going to wage a war against developers or certain people in the business community. But some of your opponents, that's not been the narrative. Some of your opponents, in fact, to the business community are outright hostile to them. And that's disconcerting to someone like myself, who I see myself as a practical person, a pragmatic person, and tries to look at issues from all sides. And, of course, we don't want develop over, development overrunning our schools, but we want to make sure that it's consistent, with, that we have smart growth, that we are meeting the demands, that we're growing our tax base, we're allowing business owners in Montgomery County to, to establish a business, and Montgomery County is not pushing back against those folks. And so... I, I'm, I'm always interested to hear from candidates that, um, you know, they, they approach development in different ways. But I'm also concerned that some of your opponents out there um, are, are, are just not big fans of, of, of growing this community. And so what do you, what do you say to that? Well, I think your concerns are justified. And, and I appreciate your recognition that I do inspire confidence in a broad spectrum of our community. I have been endorsed by the Sierra Club. I'm the lead environmentalist in this race. And I've been endorsed by Hall of Fame business leaders, Norm Augustine of Lockheed Martin. Very few figures in public life have the support of the environmental community and the business community. So I really feel very good about that. And I share your concern that we do need to get past this growth, no growth conundrum. It does not serve us. We do, we will grow. It is inevitable that we will grow. It is about managing growth. It is about making sure growth takes place where we want it to, where we create 
vibrant urban centers that attract millennials, attract seniors, attract business. That is good for our county. And it's also good to say no to development that will create more sprawl and that will hurt our natural environment. We can do both. We can create vibrant urban centers and have incredible neighborhoods immediately next to it that property values go up and their quality of life goes up. So this war has got to stop. It's a false war, and it just doesn't serve us. And we do need to grow, and we need to create opportunities for businesses to thrive. And if we don't have that, we will not be able to afford to keep funding our school system like we must. We won't be able to afford to do things like bus rapid transit. We won't be able to afford to do things like pre-K that we must get moving on in order to help people learn faster. So, you know, all of this requires a vibrant economy. And you can't have a vibrant economy and be saying no to growth. Mm-hmm. Well, and you speaking of schools, um, you also work to increase the school impact fees paid by the developers. You've put in place development moratoriums and, uh, you know, you propose the bonding dollars for school construction to accelerate some of these projects. So, and that's a big job of the County executive to work in tandem with our school superintendent. I, I am, we have two children in Montgomery County public schools and I'm so proud of that. I say that with, a lot of happiness because we are proud of where our kids go to school. I've just, we, we have built a community around our schools, our clusters. We're in the Wooten cluster and we have such an active cluster and our parents are great. It's a, it really is. It's a parental community and the PTA is a big part of our life. And we, we are very active in our, our children's education process. And that's one thing that I love about this community is how much, how much they effort people place in the education system. And so yes. let's talk about that. I want to talk about what, as an, as an executive, we can do to continue to support Montgomery County's public schools and what your role in the school system is. That's a great question. I appreciate you're also talking about how I've worked so hard to make to address school overcrowding and to make sure that development does not contribute to school overcrowding and to the extent to which it does, that it either pays for it or when development is outpacing the school, that we actually have a more It's worked. It's made sure that development and our school infrastructure actually do work in tandem. So I was very pleased to both raise the, the fees that developers pay, excuse me, to 120% of the cost of a child and to reduce the moratorium so that it was on an individual school level. So if it was more than 120% for any individual school, there had to be a moratorium on development that affected that school. More broadly, your question says, what's the relationship between the county executive and the school system? And I think it must be a collaborative one. But if I'm writing a check for over $2.5 billion, which is the case now, I do want to make sure that there's an alignment 
of what our community's expectations are and what the school system's expectations are. And I think we have a great superintendent and Jack Smith and his commitment to transparency, his commitment to metrics. I think that that itself is going to be transformative because if we get to see how every class is doing in every school, accountability will be forthcoming. But you can't be accountable unless you have the transparency and the metrics. And I really feel like he, his commitment to that is going to make it so much easier for us to address the problems we have in our school system. Well, unless we can measure it, we certainly can't fix a problem. So we have to be able yep. to to accurately measure every our student progress, the amount of money that we're spending. And this is going to be a big education year. And, and, you know, in moving forward, you have some incredible tasks ahead with school construction, with moving forward on, of course, funding our schools, with the maintenance of effort. And a, a lot of simpatico partnerships are people don't realize just how much the county council, the county executive work um, alongside our school system superintendent and the staff over at MCPS. It's a big deal. It is, um, as, you, as you have observed, it is our number one priority. By uh, definition, our school system is our county's number one priority. In this budget year, the county executive has just sent his budget and we're about to do our work on it. But he's proposed a 3% increase in funding for our school system, while county government is decreased by 0.5%. So I think that there are times when you really see the extent to which our county is committed to our children and giving our school system every opportunity to do right by our kids because that's the most important work we have to do is to help our kids succeed in every possible way. So I think our budget reflects that value. Roger, I know like like myself, I know that in this past month on uh, Valentine's Day, February 14th, what happened down in Florida um, at the at the high school um, in Parkland, it, it deeply impacted me. It, I'm sure it impacted you. And we have a problem in our country. And there's it's it's not limited to one issue, but certainly gun violence is a, a major issue. And I know that you've stood behind students who and uh, you know who walked out in uh, to to shed light on these school issues and there's many programs that I think that we can talk about but you know I'm just I'm always curious to hear the more personal side what was how did that impact you when you were watching you, you had children in public schools we we had children in schools when I watch that it's just my heart aches every time because people say well it, it could never happen here that's just that's just not the case it can happen anywhere that incident. It could happen. And it could happen anywhere. I was in Darnstown a couple of nights ago for a, a meeting of the community with our police, in which the whole meeting was about how can we protect our kids. And you know, it. I am so proud of our students for the voice that they are bringing to this fight, because I actually do think that they have a chance of succeeding where the adults have failed. When adults get involved, it's, there's a lot more anger and it's, it's through the head. When our kids speak for us, 
somehow it just goes to the heart. And I'm one of these people that believe that we can solve a lot more things by going through the heart than we can through the head. And that's, there are hope in this conversation that they can ignite people to act differently because it's just insane to have assault weapons that you and I can buy. What do we need an assault weapon for? It, it is, it's just, it's just beyond insane. So I do hope that they can lead us to a sane place. But it's just so frightening. When I was growing up, we were, we had drills for the Cuban Missile Crisis. We went under our desks because we were afraid of a nuclear bomb. And that was traumatic enough as a young child. I cannot imagine the stress in school today. All the stresses. It's just uh, we need a lot more counselors, quite frankly, because the stress level in our school system is really, it's off the charts. So my heart goes out to everybody involved in it. As a father of two, two kids, I promise you, I just go, but there, but for the grace of God, go us. Yeah. Let's, that's, that's... let's just cross our fingers and try and be as a community attentive to each other so that if somebody is acting in a way that we go, oh, this isn't right, people are talking about it and people are checking in and making sure that people aren't isolated because it's in that isolation that bad things can happen. You know, as we ramp up on the final issue that I wanted to talk to you about tonight, and there's going to be many other opportunities where you and I can talk, I think we've had a great conversation about your platform this evening, but you mentioned, you said the word isolated. Given the presidency that we have, which is ongoing chaos and a catastrophe every single day, it seems like I'm just, you know, I I don't know about you, Roger, when I watch the news or check social media, I'm, I'm exhausted. I'm just exhausted with just yeah. nonstop nonsense. It seems at at um, at, at the top level, the, the the lack of leadership, the the pettiness that we we see. I mean, this is you, know, you look at the president. This this is no way. This is no representative. I, I would never want my children to to mimic um, someone like him. And but you know, and I I'm concerned because we have many immigrants who located to Montgomery County. And I have to tell you, as, and I'm sure that you have experienced, that some of these immigrants do feel um, ostracized. They feel on edge. And I think that Montgomery County has done an excellent job to welcome everyone to our, our community and make them feel like they are every bit as part of this community as a productive member. And so... I, I'm just interested to hear your perspective on our, our, you know, Montgomery County's immigration and or Montgomery County's immigrants who locate here. Well, thank you, and thank you for observing that the Montgomery County way, if you will, is a welcoming way, is a respectful way, an honoring that if you are here in our community, we treat you with the utmost respect. And that's how we have to go about our business. And it's really one of the great legacies of County Executive Ike Leggett. He has been so terrific in that regard, standing firm for our values and not letting the president corrupt or in any way denigrate how we do 
our work in Montgomery County. And it has created incredible strength for our immigrants. Not knowing one day to the other whether their families are going to be literally torn apart. And so it's it's a major responsibility of our county government to make sure that people appreciate the resources that are available to them and to continue to go about their lives the best they can and to know that to the extent to which we can, we'll have their backs. Mm-hmm. Um, we do we do not enforce immigration laws. Our police have told us that that would destroy trust in our community. We do cooperate with the federal government when we have bad people in our corrections, and that is what we should do because public safety matters more than anything. And if somebody has done something awful in our community and is here undocumented, that combination is not a good combination. Um, so both are true that we don't act as immigration officials, but if somebody is terrible, we do cooperate with the federal government and making sure that they're aware when somebody's going to be released. It seems like they have done really bad stuff. So I think we have found the right balance, and I think we are a welcoming community. I mean, and our immigrant community is growing, and it will continue to grow. And so we need to look in the mirror and know who we are as a county. We are not who we used to be. I tell people all the time, if you want to know who Montgomery County is, go to Costco. You know, there you see the, the true face of Montgomery County. And what a face it is, 170 different cultures, 140 different languages. It's remarkable. We're a new world community, and it is something to celebrate. And uh, that's what I do, and it is one of the, the joys of a campaign is being exposed to so many different communities, different languages, languages that I didn't even know existed. And uh, it's really quite thrilling as to who Montgomery County is today. Now, one final issue before we wrap up is the the Department of Liquor Control. People <laughs> want to know where, <laughs> yeah, people want to know where the candidates stand on getting the county out of the uh, the liquor business. So I'd be remiss if I did not ask you, Roger, what's your position on that issue? I am the only member of the county council who has consistently said it is time for us to end our liquor monopoly. We are the only county in America that has a monopoly over the wholesale and retail distribution of harm. It does not serve our county. There's some things that we're unique about. I don't think this is a quality that serves us being unique. There's a reason why no one else does it. County government does not do business well. We should do government well, but we don't do the private sector business well. And the private sector suffers as a result. Ask any restaurant owner whether or not the Department of Liquor Control is a plus or a minus. And they'll just look at you like, are you kidding me? (laughs) It's a big negative A number of major restaurants have left recently pointing to DLC saying, that's why we can't make it in Montgomery County. And restaurants are an important part of attracting a vibrant social life, a vibrant nightlife, of attracting millennials, of attracting people that want to enjoy your community. And so you want to create an environment in which restaurants 
can make it. And restaurant business is hard business. So uh, it's anti-consumer. It's anti-business. It is such a thing of the past. It does not serve our community well. That's have I made my have I made my position clear? Crystal clear, and that's. <laughs> uh, I think people will be. I think you uh, will will win a few voters over with that position, and that's uh, that's a that's a big topic. So, well, Roger, I want to thank you for coming on this evening um, and just having this conversation. And I I found it to be very constructive and valuable. And I always learn so much about candidates and their backstory and just having these conversations more so than I can from by sitting at a forum. And that's why I like having this intimate one-on-one conversation. And the forums give you an opportunity, but then again, you're sitting next to your competitors and you're, you know, you, you have to stand out and this is a safe zone here on my show and we can just have this conversation. And I, I, I really appreciate you coming on and I'm hoping that we can do this again soon. Thank you, sir. I enjoyed it as well, and I hope we'll have an opportunity for years to come to have these conversations. Absolutely. Roger, thank you so much. And one last thing, your website and where people can find more information on you. Thank you for asking. BerlinerForMontgomery.com. Check it out. Check me out. If you don't know me, you should see everything you need to know on the website. But I really have appreciated this opportunity of chatting with you, Ryan, and I obviously would love to have the privilege of serving our county as county executive. All right. Well, thank you for coming on, and you have a great week. Thank you, sir. You too. Bye-bye. All right. That was County Councilman Roger Berliner of District 1, who is running for Montgomery County Executive. That was his platform, a little bit of information about him, and as he mentioned, check out his website at Berliner for montgomery.com and with that we'll go ahead and wrap up so you can join me every sunday evening at nine o'clock p.m i probably won't be here for easter and i definitely won't be here on april the 22nd because that is the day after my wedding so with that i wish you all a very happy week i will see you next week thank you and have a good night